like my father was in East Tennessee, land of home free, spent time as a kid, hills of Carolina, mountains and valleys there, there's no place finer, still my time keeps ticking away, I'll just keep Hello, everyone. Hello. So we're going <laughs> to record 2.0. This is our first have to re-record because of my audio. I did not have my life together yesterday and I could not find headphones. I could not use my microphone. We recorded. It was awful. And so now Morgan has to record with me again because <laughs> I failed. <laughs> no, it was, it's just been, it's been a crazy time. Um, yeah. So we're, you guys are only going to hear it once, but we're, we're doing this now twice, a second day in a row. Uh, who knows? Will it be better than the first time? You guys it's will gonna, never know. It's always going to be different because we don't have a script. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just like, well, I guess we'll just say what we said yesterday, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> what we, d- we did say was, uh, you know, we took a, a week off um, just because we, we both had some like travel and uh it was just hard to fit it in uh, with both of our schedules. And uh, then we were a day late because, again, travel on both of our schedules. <laughs> and then we're another day late because well, we fucked it up. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, yeah, here we are. We're still doing it. So we're trying we're better trying. late than never trying to be here. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Oh, this was such a good episode, too. I love it. Oh, we got kind of a fun email about our rankings this week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we didn't mention that in yesterday's recording. Um, uh-uh. Yeah, we got an email about how our podcast is, I don't remember the number, but it's one of the top comedy podcasts in South Africa, which, ironically enough, I studied abroad in South Africa. Uh, me, Morgan, talking, the younger cousin. I studied abroad in South Africa uh, when I was 18, my first year of college uh, for three weeks, and it was like a life-changing experience. Um, so South Africa has always been a, a really like near and dear place to me yeah and she's been back since then no I thought you did no I wish oh, okay. it's it's been a decade this year actually since oh, I okay. traveled yeah, yeah actually next month is a, a 10 years since I went on that trip I want to go back for the gotcha. 10 year it would make sense but now I'm never back yeah so <laughs> Morgan should totally go back for her 10 year yes yeah and I just I love that they're loving our podcast in South Africa so shout yeah. out absolutely uh, thank you for listening, listening. Yeah, yeah thank you um yeah that is that is a funny thing I love that I sent yeah. it to Sarah and I was like of all places yeah it's so the cool. month before the 10 year 10 years since the trip I yeah love that. it's ironic life it is. It comes around <laughs> yeah it sure does um so we decided what was our last episode our last episode was you talking about the meth house right yes and, and so, yes, we decided that we would do this episode because as Sarah mentioned, when that was happening, she was actually in the process of adopting her son. 
So we are going to tell the the really, really awesome story of um, her son's adoption. Well, Sarah's going to tell it mostly. Yeah. So me, Sarah, the older cousin, I'm here. I'm, I'm microphoned today. She's sounding good today. <laughs> Yesterday, she was really crackly. <laughs> yeah. I uh, did everything possible to fix it. It was unfixable. <laughs> so here we are. So yeah. So we're going to start back in about 2006, 2007. And this was a period of time where I was married to my first husband. And that is my child's father. We adopted him together. And, you know, it's, there's so many different stances and people in this story. And I definitely want to share so much about the positives out of the story because little guy's life didn't start out real positive. (laughs) Um, He had a difficult time. So I actually know his biological family because we worked together. So I worked with his biological grandparents on his maternal side and I worked with his birth mother. And so I knew all of them beforehand. And I didn't talk about this yesterday (laughs) that y'all didn't hear, but I was actually kind of going to be his godmother. So I had relationships with his birth mom. At the time, she'd kind of been in and out struggling with substance use disorder. I was the friend that kind of like moved her out of town, did a couple of interventions. She love hated me (laughs) for everything I did, Um, you know, but we were young. And so I had bought gifts. I was fully intending, you know, to to be the godmother and things took a tragic turn the day that he was born. So I was in the process of moving back to Knoxville, Tennessee from Birmingham, Alabama, because his father's job had moved. And his father's industry, there's never anything in Knoxville for that industry. Yeah. So we always lived in all kinds of different places. And when this opportunity came up and we had the opportunity to move back to Knoxville, it was just extremely ironic. Like it was like, what? We're going back to Knoxville after all this? And so he had already relocated. Funny story, we bought a house the same month that um, our kid was born. And I was in Birmingham. So I don't know if you've ever bought a house, but you got to sign a whole lot of papers. And I didn't <laughs> come in for the signing. And I gave him power of attorney to sign for me. So he'd have to sign his name. And then he had to sign mine power of attorney. Oh so my gosh. <laughs> that was That's a so fun funny. experience for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was actually in Chicago the day that our child was born. Wait, can we just talk about how every fucking time you're in Chicago for a work trip, something crazy happens? Yeah. I We've talked about it in past episodes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the mom went missing, was found incarcerated. Lots of crazy. She shot herself in the foot. One yeah. of those Chicago trips too, I think. Right? Yeah. I had to take care of a small interruption. He must know it's his episode. That was my child banging at the door because he just got <laughs> off the school bus. Okay. We're back. <laughs> Um, Let me try to get my head straight again. Okay. So I get a call from his biological Nana and Mm -hmm. he had been born and little did we know his birth mother had been really suffering with substance abuse disorder during the pregnancy. And so when they tested the marconium, it came back that he had opioids in his system and, and some other things. And he was going through withdrawals from drugs at birth, which his birth pictures, you can tell like... He's not a happy camper. (laughs) Like things are wrong. (laughs) So he immediately went to the neonatal intensive care unit, the NICU, and, you know, started talking to his, you know, grandmother. And it it was just tragic, you know, for everyone involved, especially with this sick child that's now in intensive care. Um, 
when a child is born that is exposed or addicted to opioids, they call it NAS. So it's neonatal abstinence syndrome. And there's lots of ways they score them um, by different behaviors. There's failure to thrive. They don't want to eat. Um, oftentimes they're shaking. They clench their thumbs. Oftentimes they have like extended limbs because their muscles are so tense. Um, and actually hiccups is a sign of it, believe it or not in oh. newborn babies. Yeah. So he was going through lots of stuff, had to immediately go on phenobarbital, which is an opioid that they give babies that are actively withdrawing to try to yeah. give them the opioid and then taper them off. And so he was in the NICU for a few weeks. And during that time, I was in close conversations, you know, with his grandmother. Um, at the time, his birth parents weren't really making actions to do anything. So his maternal grandmother took him home and took responsibility for this very, very sick child. And I mean, he was born at a healthy weight, but he would get projectile sick constantly. And it's crazy to see a, a being that small get just projectile sick, can't Aww. sleep, in pain, just irritated. You know, any type of stimulant um, on the skin or noise would bother him. It was yeah. just a very, very difficult, very stressful time for everyone involved. And so shortly thereafter, I got relocated to our home now in Knoxville. And I spent a lot of time with him and his, you know, grandmother and went to appointments with him. He had a lot of appointments, a lot of therapies. Um, he couldn't really use one side of his body um, whenever he was first born. So there was a lot of occupational therapy. And of course, you've got the court system involved. You've mm -hmm. got, you know, child protective services involved and everything that goes with that. So it truly is a, a very stressful situation for any family to go through, you know, not only for the child, but also for, you know, the parents that are suffering with, you know, substance abuse and, and the stress that that puts on the family and the divide of having to choose an infant and not help your child because you can't do both. So, you know, there's a, a lot of things in place. So, you know, a few months in, I, I actually came, to, I wasn't moved back when he got home from the hospital, but I came to town that day and saw him and held him uh, as soon as he got out and then, you know, did pictures and, you know, different things as my, you know, schedule would allow because at the time I had just graduated college. I had just, I hadn't even walked across stage yet. I had just finished my internship and I decided to open a small business when I moved back because, you know, I could have been employed in Birmingham, but I didn't have anything in Knoxville. So there's a lot of stuff going on. I was in my early 20s. Um, his father was in his mid 20s. And, you know, at the time, I was just trying to be a good friend. I love babies, anyone in need, <laughs> you know, so like, I loved helping and a few months in, you know, his his grandmother decided she wanted to try to find a, a young family that could provide all the needs that he needed. And the in the future was untold. We had no idea what this was going to do. I mean, it was he might not survive even a couple months old because of everything. It was he may never walk. He may never talk. You know, like anything typical was, you know, on or off the table. We didn't know what the outcome would be. And this was really at the first of the opioid crisis where you started to see this, started to see, you know, babies being born addicted to the opioids. Yeah. So, you know, there really wasn't a lot of science or resources that aligned with it just because it was still a new 
thing that was happening. Um, And it still is today. I mean, he is definitely one of the first generations to like go through that experience and then seeing what it does long-term and studying it is difficult because a lot of the time, you know, the system wants the parents, the, the birth parents to have the child. So they'll do everything possible to get them back in their home. And so oftentimes it's just kind of cyclical. It goes back into the cycle, you know, there's mm-hmm. mental health issues that are basis that turn in, you know, to substance use disorders that turn into having a child and, and the child following you know, back into that pattern. And yeah. so and with it just being new, I mean, the opioid crisis, you know, it, it really didn't begin that long ago. So there's just truly not even enough time for there to be long-term studies on what this does to a person as they grow into, you know, a child, a, a teenager and into their entire adulthood. Like it, there just hasn't even been enough time yet, which is just crazy to think about. Yeah. And I mean, there still hasn't been, there's still yeah. not long-term studies or diagnosis codes or anything for people like my child. So, you know, getting support, getting, you know, the things that they need is difficult, which is a whole other conversation, you know, as far as insurance and again, diagnosis codes, like it's all still brand new. And there's still a lot of studies that need to happen. I have a really good case study here at my mm-hmm. house because um, he's he's been through a, a lot of doctors and therapies. So she was looking for, you know, younger family to devote their time. She still had a child at home. She, you know, was older, you know, and to have an incredibly sick infant, like she was giving all she could give, but she also wanted to be in his life and be his Nana, you know? So again, the courts are just kind of like floating through stuff with the parents, you know, they're not really doing or or meeting the tasks they needed to meet. And so there was a family that was considered that it didn't work out with. And then, yeah. So there was one night that I kept him at my house and he did well with me and his father. He would eat well. He didn't have, you know, simulation problems. He thrived like the basic needs that a child who has these challenges doesn't do, you know? So, you know, the Nana always felt comfortable with him being with us and us helping. And we were out to eat actually at Red Lobster. And he was in his little infant carrier. We were eating and this couple gets up and walks over after they were finished and was like, and of course, you know, I have him all done up. He's got all his stuff. Like I'm meticulous (laughs) about it. He's like, your son is so good and beautiful. And he looks just like his daddy. (laughs) And we didn't correct him or say anything, but so we're just sitting there after and staring at each other. And at this point, we had not considered biologically having children, adopting like we talked about it in the future, but we were, weren't at that place in our lives where we were seeking to do that. But his dad looks at me and he goes, we should take him. And I was like, excuse me, <laughs> what? <laughs> like This was very out of character. What do you mean? We should take him. And I'm like, do you understand what that means and like what the process will be? You know, like, what do you mean? And, you know, from that time period forward, we, you know, spoke with his Nana a bunch. Um, she wanted to make sure that it was a good place for him, make sure that it wasn't upsetting our lives that were, you know, just kind of getting started as young adults. And while she was incredibly excited on one hand, she was trepidatious on the other. 
for those reasons, you know, and she also knew what kind of challenge it was going to bring. And, you know, lots of support, lots of time, lots of dedication. And so we started seeking legal counsel because she was his guardian. Parents still had rights. It was a process that like we couldn't find hardly any help about like, hey, you know, their rights are probably getting terminated in the future. We want to get him stable in an environment where he can grow and thrive. This couple wants to adopt him. Like it was a whole mess. So, you know, we had to do home study privately. We had to seek legal counsel privately. And it took about 18 months for everything to go through. So during that time period, me and his father were 100% dedicated for him. We just believed that he deserved a chance. He deserved to be loved. And we knew at any point our hearts could be broken and he could have been ripped out of our home, you know, to go be with either biological parents or other family members. Like it was a huge leap of faith. Which Uh, I, you said earlier that, um, there was another family who tried to adopt him, but it fell through. I didn't know that. And I also didn't know that your first husband, it was his idea first. I had never heard those two before. Yeah. Yeah, Morgan was pretty young at this point, so yeah, a lot of this is news to her as well. Yeah, him and I are, um, I think we decided yesterday we're 14 years apart, so I was obviously 14, you know, going into 15 when all of this was going on, and I remember meeting him for the first time uh, at your house, and uh, yeah, he wasn't officially adopted yet. I think he was like around three or four months at that time, mm-hmm. um, and I just remember you guys explaining, like, you can hold him, but, you know, just he's very sensitive to touch, and some things hurt him like just all the like kind of you know warnings you have to give about him because bless his little heart um but yeah disclaimers (laughs) yeah I'll never forget meeting him for the first time and I loved babies I mean at that age I was kind of like because I'm like a nine to well you're nine years and then your siblings are like older than you so like nine Mm -hmm. to 15 years younger than everyone else I was always the babysitter when everyone had children but there was so I've always loved babies but I I do like very vividly remember like meeting him for the first time and just funny we had no idea what was to come yeah I did I mean it it was definitely putting your heart you know in a bag and not sure where it's gonna go but you know we did our best and obviously his you know maternal grandparents were heavily involved took care of him like supported us through the whole experience just like you know, it was very much they're doing to to help facilitate it. But what transpired over, you know, those 18 months was his biological mother actually signed her rights over. Um, she was pregnant again. And while it was a very difficult and heartful situation for her, she was selfless and, and put his life, in, you know, before before her wants and signed his rights, signed the rights over. And you know, I remember in the parking lot of the juvenile center, her being like, I just have one thing I want you to promise me. And that's if you guys ever get divorced, that you both remain in his life, which is funny because we did get divorced. We we're like, oh, yeah, we're never getting divorced. <laughs> you don't have to worry. Um, and then we promised her that he could be in his life, you know, if she was able to get her, you know, substance abuse under control. And, you know, all those things came to fruition. Thankfully, I mean, you know, uh, we did not remain married um, after he was four, but we're both 
actively in his life. His father does live in various places, so he has traveled a lot to visit him. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he gets lots of travel and lots of dynamic between the both of us because me and his father are pretty different <laughs> as far as yeah. personality and views. Um, but we've always gotten along and put him first, period. Yeah. Like that is the core of why we did what we did. But it's been a it's been a long journey. I mean, this child has had more difficult experiences than most humans will ever, ever know. And that all happened under the age of 18. You know, the occupational mm-hmm. therapy, the physical therapy, the mental health therapy, the, you know, psychologist. I mean, he, there's often times where he'll have like six different therapists at one time. He's done yeah. equine therapy. I mean, we've tried all the things and, you know, ABA therapy, but where what it actually is called for him is encephalitis. And that means global neurological damage, which causes a whole subset of issues and challenges. But he, you know, had motor delay. He still has developmental delay cognitively um, and with school. He's in high school now, but it's a huge challenge. Um, And he has behavior challenges too. So it's been very challenging and interesting to see kind of the product of what happened to him in vitro and at birth and how it's kind of affected him long term. For a long time, he was tiny, tiny. He's finally hit a little bit of a growth spurt and gained some weight. Like he was always negative on the charts where people would be like, mm-hmm. oh, my kid's in the 95th percentile. And I'm like, yeah, we're still negative five. <laughs> yeah. But we're trying. <laughs> like I'm giving him candy bars. <laughs> <laughs> So, and you know, to see a child, you know, struggle and and grow up in a way that, you know, there are certain things in his control, certain things that are not. I've definitely given my all to try to give him the support he needs. I still feel like I've failed every day, which most parents do, I think. But, you know, it's it's so hard to see him struggle with things he can't control. And, you know, we were completely open about the adoption to this day from the time he could talk. And, you know, I think that that was the best path for us and for him. So he never questions where he's from. You know, it's never a surprise or a secret um, we use the word adoption around him from the get-go. He has biological siblings that he knows. He gets to see his biological, you know, birth mother, his grandparents, like the whole nine yards. And, you know, it really was a, I had to be secure in myself, obviously, um, and not feel insecure about those relationships because I wanted him to experience that and grow up knowing you know, his biological family. And it really has been a beautiful thing. His mother completely recovered. She's in the nursing industry. She raises her two children on her own. Like she's a freaking rock star. I believe in recovery, you know, because obviously the basis of falling into the trap of using is mental health issues that you have to manage. So, you know, actually just the other day, because we're very close. And when she thinks back to being pregnant with him and all that, she's like, you know, even when he was younger, she would say, it's so much more normal to me to think that you're his mom than I am, you know, because it was such a haze in her life. And at this, this point, it's almost like those thoughts and those feelings don't exist anymore for her. And so it's like a completely different life. So I joke with her sometimes because 
my child is a challenge in every way and he's very, very unique in every way. And I texted her last week when he got in trouble at school again. And I said, Hey, I got a return from 2007 and I outside the policy. And she called me and she goes, it took me a minute. She said, hell no, bitch. You got 30 days. Long past due. <laughs> but you know, she'll make the comment like God knew what he was doing because I could have never done what you've done for him. And I appreciate it so much. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. You, you guys make a lot of like fun, like baby mama jokes. Yes. Just, it's, it's just, it really is beautiful. Um, that, you know, she is where she is in, in life now and has overcome so much. And it's such an open adoption. I mean, even like from like, he was so little, like you guys are always so open. I just remember like the explanation because, you, you know, I lived with you guys when uh, you guys were, or it was just the three of us we've mentioned in previous mm-hmm. episodes um, when he was like three or four mm-hmm. and I was early college um but yeah it was just always very age appropriate like the explanation was you know mommy and daddy like you came from this person's belly which he knew very well Mm -hmm. but mommy and daddy loved you so much that we chose you and yeah um yeah I just it's it's really beautiful because like we've talked about too like he just has that much more family and support and loved ones in his life yeah which I'm a huge advocate for but not everyone thinks that way so you know we definitely have certain family that we speak about that uh, wasn't a fan of the whole adoption deal and, you know, wasn't a fan of me being, you know, friendly and friends and having relationships with his biological family. And there's still people that's like, how could you ever, you know, have her in your life, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, people make mistakes. Like, don't judge one person's mistake more than yours, because this happens all of the time. Like, it happens. Like it just happened to be during a pregnancy, you know, and it's a hard time period. So, you know, I believe in loving people and accepting people for their challenges. And I think it's beautiful whenever people can overcome their challenges, which she absolutely has. I mean, she's had a hard fight and I call her my baby mama. All the time. She calls me her baby mama. And so I love making that joke. Like, yeah, I have a baby mama. Because <laughs> I adopted. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It really is beautiful. So another mm-hmm. ironic part of the whole situation is he looks more like me than his biological mother. Yeah. So he looks just like me. So sometimes if I ever talk to strangers about him being adopted, they think I'm joking at first. And I'm like, no, <laughs> like, really, he was... I adopted him, you know, and like, yeah, I'm proud of it. Like, I think anyone that has a stigma about adoption is just, it's just not the way to view it. It's beautiful. We have such a bond because we've been through so much hardship together. I had to work and fight for this child, you know, and I think that adoption can be what you want it to be. But I think that in general, you know, it can definitely be a beautiful experience if that's right for you. Yeah. You mentioned um, yesterday like going to the doctor and having to explain like, you know, NAS and everything and yeah. like the kind of like judgment you would receive until you explained yeah. he's actually adopted. I got so aggravated about that again. So just talking about women who have struggled with use during pregnancy and then like trying to reform their life, right? There's such a stigma. Like I would go to appointments, especially new appointments and tell his history and immediately people's body composure just changes, right? Mm. And they start judging you. 
And sometimes I would just let it go on for a while before I'm like, oh yeah, I'm his adoptive mother. I'm his mother, you know? Yeah. And then they would completely change, but it's just like, come on guys, like let's help women who are struggling, get prenatal care, get, you know, help for their child for their self after the experience. Like I wish there wasn't such a stigma and such a judgment against that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was going to say earlier, um, it's, it's just like such a funny thing that like you have had so much experience with addiction and like growing up with like a mother who struggles with substance abuse. It's like, it almost makes you wonder if like those experiences allowed you to be able to like be more well-equipped to, to take him on and take on this situation, like this chapter of your life. Yeah. It definitely continued to expand my education (laughs) on drug use and addiction. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And like, even today, at the age that he's at, you know, we do the best we can. I talk, I have long conversations with his psychiatrist about it. And she's like, you know, it's just not recognized yet. There's just not long-term studies. So like I've had to pay a lot of times, thankfully I was able to pay out of pocket to get him the help he needs because insurance won't cover it because it's just, there's not a diagnosis. It's not recognized. You know, it's often misconstrued as, you know, other things, but you know, those commercials in the 90s where it's like here's your brain like the egg and it's yeah. like here's your brain on drugs and it's like right. that's kind of what happens whenever you get formed with drugs <laughs> like it's yeah. kind of just all messed up in there and you know it's hard to pinpoint exactly what the problem is but at the end of the day like I could have chose to do more lo- neurological studies on him but the way that we were responding to his needs wouldn't have changed because right. there's nothing else that is offered so you know I chose to not do that and just to continue down the path of like supporting his challenges and, you know, doing the best that we can do. And I mean, it's hard, you know, I realized early on, like, I will never have the kid that gets to go on the Washington DC field trip or, you know, gets to be on honor roll or have perfect attendance, you know, because I mean, everything about his health was compromised, even his teeth, you know, and so there was lots of appointments and you know, with medications came different challenges with behaviors. And, you know, he has, he has a lot of characteristics that align with certain disorders that he could be diagnosed with, but it's not the core of what's happened or what the problem is with him. So, and then of course, being judged as the parent who has the child that's not good. Like, I mean, even recently on a a group chat for my kickball team, a lady was like, well, I have to bring my kids, but they're really good. And I was like, good for you. Mine aren't, mine's not, mine's not good. I'm not bringing it. (laughs) Like, I'll be the first to tell you, like, I've really tried and, you know, we still have challenges, but every day is a different journey. And he's improved. And quite honestly, I'm so thankful he is where he is today. I'm so thankful that he's as able as he is today and, you know, does the things he does. And, you know, one of the things he enjoys is ice hockey. That was the only sport (laughs) that kept his attention. And he's been doing that for a long time now. And it's really helped with his motor skills and things like that, because he still has a huge challenge with motor skills and riding and you know, all the typical things. So I definitely got to experience school systems and having the kid that doesn't fit inside the box and every day is a journey. But the thing is, is like, he's captivating. He has such a 
beautiful soul Mm -hmm. and a sweet personality. And then he does just random stuff impulsively that gets him in trouble. Like, you know, all of his educators and the staff like love him so much. They're like, well, (laughs) he made a bad decision, but we love him (laughs) and we're going to get through it. You know, so it's not like he's malicious or a mean child. He just does things without thinking. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's definitely I mean, it's definitely one of those things that we need more resources for in yeah. general, just like as a, as a, uh, a result of the opioid addiction and, you know, I, I don't think the opioid addiction or crisis, sorry, is getting any better. Um, it's something that I, I don't think is talked about enough and recognized enough. And, and like you said, that I feel like it often continues the cycle because there aren't resources in situations like this. I mean, I'm pretty sure there are certain states where if if a woman um, has a child and she's been using and the child is born addicted and withdrawing, um, there are certain states where I'm pretty sure the woman is immediately arrested or incarcerated Mm -hmm. yeah which like look like obviously it's 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 shitty and it's bad but like that's not gonna fix anything for the woman or the Mm -hmm. child it's not gonna help anybody in that situation involved so it, it just again goes back to addressing the root causes of addiction Yeah. You know, I remember when that was put into place Mm -hmm. and it just pushes women away from wanting to get prenatal care, which would help everybody and getting care for their self. And if there were interventions or, you know, support in place during that process, that would help everybody. But instead we just use our, you know, judicial system that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. You're exactly right. I mean, that's all that would only deter women from getting the care that they, both them and the child need. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it does. And it's been proven that it does. I mean, obviously, it's a scare tactic and it doesn't work. We need to support people who have, you know, issues with substances and have mental health issues. Like it's a whole crisis. But, you know, from firsthand, I'm watching to see an NAS baby grow up and try my best to make him (laughs) the best contributing citizen of our community that he can be. you know, definitely have a long way to go on some things. But again, he's overcome so many challenges in his little life, you know, that most people take for granted that I have to remember to celebrate myself because I'm always pushing and just wanting better for him. But I'm so proud of him. Some days like yesterday, I got a email from one of his teachers Mm -hmm. just letting me know how good of a day he had, you know, and it's so great when you can get support systems that are like that. And don't just sit your child out because it's the kid that's hard to deal with. Yeah. Well, in, in both of these situations that we're talking about, whether it's the woman or the child and even him, you know, in school, it's it, it's just empathy. It's just like, give people a break. You don't know the full story. Maybe, you know, it really comes down to like approaching things from like a, a human dignity, empathy approach. Yeah, absolutely. Which... It's been challenging. I mean, I'll never forget his first day of kindergarten. (laughs) He was still too small to take any type of focus medication because that was what was recommended because of his hyperactivity and lack of focus. And so his doctor is pretty much like, I trust you with everything. You've been here the whole time. If he absolutely has to go on something like we'll work it out, even though he's underweight. So let me know how it goes. And you know, I'm the mom that like met with the teacher beforehand, went over the history, went over things that work, things that don't, you know, <laughs> like I'm always that mom at all the IEP meetings. <laughs> um, and I went to lunch and like spent part of the day and then left to go back to work. And I promptly get an email and she's like, well, he really tanked after you left for lunch. 
<laughs> he flooded all the urinals in the boys bathroom and then like I don't know broke a bunch <laughs> of pencil pencils like I could still find the email I'm just like reading it and just like oh god and it's one of those things where it's like he's got to go to school and I can't be there so like yeah. how do I partner with these educators and also not affect other children's experience <laughs> like I always think about the whole picture and it's hard but it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> he was on oh God. He was the cutest baby and toddler, though. Like, yes. And even like little kid. So cute. And he was he was really small for his age. He was smaller mm-hmm. than everybody else. One of my favorite stories is actually um, from your mom, my aunt, who, you know, we've told many episodes about who <laughs> will have to do another State of the Union shortly. Yeah, um, she was. I think it, I'm pretty sure you can correct me if this story has been retold too many times for me to tell it correctly at this point but she was with him and was walking and was trying to tell him like hurry up hurry up and he finally stopped and he was like he called her you know aunt you know we're not gonna say her name but he's like aunt i'm just whittle i have whittle legs (laughs) (laughs) yes those he's a very black and white person everything is like very literal real with him so like figures of speech and things like that there's like no lots sarcasm of hilarious stories due to that personality that we'll have to tell in the future there's so <laughs> many stories but yeah that's how he was that that um inability to say the l actually caused a whole other transaction when he was whittle and <laughs> my uh, stepfather had went hunting got a deer took got two deers took one to the processor and one home to process and i mean my child loved that man. He was in his lap every yeah. day of the week, anytime he could get access to him. And so he went over and watched my father process a deer, you know, and it was educational. He was about three, maybe two, probably three. And I get home from work. I had to take him to the mall to get something. And so I'm like trying to get him. Um, and he had a little stroller and stuff and I'm picking him up and he was like, mama, mama, you know, like we did this with the deer and, you know, pop all this and that. And he was like, I want to bring my deer wags. And I was like, okay, okay. Like we got to go. The mall's going to close. Come on, let's get your stroller. Okay. I'm bringing my deer wags. And I was like, whatever, come on. This kid walks out with deer legs in his <laughs> hands. And I had to explain to him that we can't bring the deer wags to the mall, <laughs> that the deer legs need to stay <laughs> At Papa's house. <laughs> that is not a thing. He cried so hard. The deer wigs. <laughs> um, I that is so funny that you just told that story full fir- fucking circle because I was about to stop you and be like, Sarah, you've told this story on the podcast already. You haven't. You told this story when you and I were at the hospital with your mom most recently, right before she had her legs amputated. You told that story to the nurses. And I was like, where have I just recently heard this? Story? Oh, okay. Yeah. Full circle. Full circle. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, it's a little, little wags. Your wags. So, yes. I mean, it, I would never change a thing. It has certainly not been easy, but the bond I have and love for the child, you know, he's honestly touched so many people's lives with his story and just who he is in general, that it's, it's beautiful. Like there's been times when I get letters from teachers or emails or calls and, you know, his beautiful little spirit, you know, through his challenges, it's just, it's really amazing. Well, and just like kudos to you for like one, us coming from a family where like we've experienced addiction and these things and, you know, like the whole premise of this podcast, like we're told not to talk about it uh, and to keep that under wraps. And, you know, this being 
15 years ago, essentially, like you've been really open with people. And I don't think that's an easy thing to do, you know, 10, even 10 years ago, especially in the South, especially coming from, you know, our family background and just like still like being brave enough to tell people that story, I think is, is really, really awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it has been hard. And again, I was judged. Um, Our family wasn't really accepting um, in the beginning. And I've definitely got a lot of grief from people because of their views. Um, But hey, if you want to come to his birthday, you better get along with everybody. (laughs) I got to tell you, because everyone's included. So take your, you know, put put the child first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this is an adoption story that is is really, really beautiful obviously it's had its challenges but at the end of the day it's a beautiful situation i would imagine adoption is a huge source of trauma for many people whether yeah. they maybe didn't know their parents or never did or just you know there's there's a lot of room for really bad yeah i mean there's challenges there. in all adoptions i think you take yeah. biological parents that make that decision i mean there's always going to be trauma associated even if it yeah. is a good decision Absolutely. and then you know the, the people who grew up adopted and you know that what you go through with the systems you know adopting it's trauma from people who you know don't have the ability to have biological children and then you know going down that road and then turning to adoption and a lot of times there's a long wait because our systems are broken you yeah. know there's so many children that need help that can't find families that are also mm-hmm. looking so there's a lot of work um that could happen in in the adoption industry and yeah. you know our states and and things like that but you're absolutely right definitely trauma and you know this one didn't go without it it was very ugly in the beginning <laughs> yeah. you know with everything going on with the family and then you know as he got older you know there were challenges and you know concerns from his birth mom like is he going to wonder why I have my other two children and not him? Uh, Is he going to feel like I didn't choose him? Is he, what's he going to think about actually knowing why he was adopted, which he knows all those answers. And he's talked to her about it. And he's talked to me about it. And we've been completely open with him and he totally understands and accepts it. And, you know, again, he's able to have a a great relationship with her and his siblings and his biological family, you know, as well as the ones that are still present with my family. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and the good news is he's, he's already in therapy and has been in therapy, mini therapy. So yes, he is, <laughs> which yeah, he is seasoned. He's also very good at manipulation. So. <laughs> That's true. It's yeah. Here we are. Here we are. Give him the tools. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I love this story. It's it's a good one, and it's a it's a really really good awareness story. Just you know, it's just like I said, another um, kind of factor surrounding addiction and 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 all the things related. Um, but we we definitely want to hear if anyone one like also has information about NAS or any experience because like I mentioned yesterday, you don't really know like you don't have people in your life who have a child who had an AS that you know of. Yeah. It's not talked about. And again, a lot of times it's because the child maybe went back with biological parents and they're ashamed, you know, and Mm -hmm. feel that they can't talk about it or, you know, maybe they went to the state and got adopted and it was covered up. But yeah, it, the awareness needs to be there. There needs to be resources for women who, you know, have these women are oftentimes who are experiencing, you, you know, substance abuse 
they're not trying to get pregnant. It just happens. So like we need to have resources in place to help them. But I would love to hear stories, um, especially if you're familiar with NAS or know of any resources. If you have stories about, you know, an individual that has you know, been born that way or, you know, grown up with challenges from drug abuse or, you know, exposure. And also, you know, a little more about adoption. Like we'd love to hear some adoption, you know, stories. Like if you have anything that you would like to share with us, we'd love to hear it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Send us your stories. Um, I think we'll probably have, we'll, we'll eventually talk more about him and. Oh yeah. There's so many stories and things. (laughs) Yeah, there's a, there's a lot there. So, um, yeah, I'm glad we got to share this story though. It's a good one. Um, yeah, yeah. send us your stories. Um, stay safe, take care of yourself, put yourself first. You can email us at familytraumapod at gmail.com. Yeah, that's important too. Yeah. Uh, and all the things. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Our South Africans holding strong. (laughs) Thank you. We appreciate Uh, everybody giving us your time and um, helping us create a community and open space to talk about challenges and hard things in life. And we're here. If you want to share your story, we'd love to talk to you. Yeah. So reach out. Um, Otherwise, we'll talk to you guys next week. And we love you so much. All right. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.